Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of About Abroad, where it's my job to introduce you to people who have built amazing lives for themselves in various foreign corners of the globe. We're talking with expats and thought leaders about moving abroad, remote work, visas, and all the fun and practical knowledge that you need to know to follow in their footsteps. If you've ever dreamed of making a life for yourself overseas, maybe working remotely or embracing long-term travel, retiring or studying abroad, or even just taking a peek inside life beyond your borders, you've landed in the right place. My guest today is an incredibly inspiring and interesting person. Her name is Lorraine Charles, and we had an awesome time talking about her experience, not just as an expat. She's British, currently living in the UAE and United Arab Emirates and Abu Dhabi, but also her experience living in Asia and other countries around the Middle East. We talk a good bit about Oman and especially about her project, called the Namal Project, which is helping refugees find suitable work via the remote work phenomenon. So she is working remotely from the UAE, has fallen in love with the Middle East, and really we dive deep into what she sees as the special pieces to the pie of this part of the world and how she is hoping remote work will change the lives of millions of people who are just seeking so much fun talking with her about her experiences around the world and how you can use this information to parlay it into a future in the Middle East if that's a place you want to live or if you just want to take a peek inside at life in this part of the world, then she's the right person to shed some light on it for you. Please help me in welcoming Lorraine to About Abroad. Lorraine, welcome to About Abroad. How are you doing today? Great. I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> it's always so fun when we get a chance to to catch up. It's It's been a little while, but I'm really excited to have you on the show today. I think your story is going to be really interesting for the people that listen to this show. And we'll be talking about some things that I have not covered with with anybody else before. So new information for, for me, new information for the listeners should be a lot of fun. Yeah, let's go. Great. So I want to just get started with a little bit of background information. First of all, tell everybody where you're currently talking to us from and sort of what your uh, current role and and general background information is from from where you are right now. Yes. So I live in Abu Dhabi in, in the UAE. I've lived here since 2008. It's quite a while. And I work remotely, consultant and sort of development projects, education, development, but I also have my own organization which supports refugees to work remotely. So really bring, you know, living, living the life that I'm promoting for refugees, working remotely myself. So my initial aim in life is to, you know, to, when I leave here to go wherever, wherever my next place will be, I want to be, you know, my work to be fully remote and I'm getting there. I do have a few things, phys- physical things that I, that I do where I live now but I'm slowly getting it. So all of my work is remote yeah. and, that's the, and that's the aim so that I can live anywhere. Remote work is really at the center of your life more so than for, for most people who even are full-time remote workers. You, you literally <laughs> live and sleep and breathe it, I think. Yeah. And, and promote it for everyone, for refugees as, as a way out, as a way for economic development. 
Yeah, it's it's often one of the overlooked aspects of the benefit of remote work. I think a lot of people think remote work, they picture like, you know, like, oh, I can go live on the beach in Thailand and exactly. work whenever I want. But really, there's like, you know, a lot of, uh, quote unquote, like real people <laughs> doing real work and and uh, and helping others and and seeing it as a means to even the the income wealth disparities in the world and yes. and bring bring a livelihood to corners of the earth that otherwise would not have it. And that's exactly and that's exactly how how I see it. I'm sort of creating a way for people who have the ability but not the opportunity where they live. So there aren't any jobs where they live. So bring the jobs to them. Get the private sector globally to give them jobs where they are. So. Again, we're talking about migration. And so some people migrate because they have no choice. There are no jobs where they live. So this is giving people the choice. If they, if they want to, to migrate, let them move because this is a choice. They really want to do it, not because there is, they have to do it to live. So I feel remote work gives people the, that opportunity. Not, so not only does it allow us to live anywhere, it allows us to stay where we are if that's what we want to do. Yeah, that, that's it, right? And, and that can be a rural area or a small island or a big city or another yeah. country or your hometown or whatever. It's exactly. just it just bringing that opportunity to your doorstep and saying you don't have to move to London or Berlin or exactly. New York to get a good job. Yeah, exactly, completely, and that's what I that's what I'm trying to do. But not only trying to do, but trying to promote that idea to. I mean, obviously, you know, the work that you do, you, you know, I'm preaching to the converted, but there's still a lot of organizations that are really reluctant to have to hire anyone remotely because they feel that face time means productivity time. And I'm sort of trying to break that stereotype to change that narrative. Oh and, yeah, you, you, know, you and, and I are it. definitely speaking the same language there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we are, so for sure, for sure. Well, that's so that project, the, the one that we're talking about specifically, because I'm, I'm sure some people listening are unfamiliar with it, is the Namal project, which people can check out. I'll put the, the link in our show notes so people that are interested in learning more about that can can find it. But that and that's just an amazing. Uh, is it correct to say philanthropic? Yeah, initiative. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Social yeah. enterprise still, and but just doing amazing things. And I think it's not it's not where we'll spend all our time today. But I think it's worth mentioning a little bit more about that because it is doing super important work. Uh, this is sort of separate from your individual life, but the but the work that you're doing really touches on a lot of what this show is about. And that's you know bringing opportunities and choice to to people and and opening yeah. up those opportunities. So. Is it you're you're also partnered with uh, Cambridge? You're partnered yeah. with MIT. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I so mean, it's come so far. It has, and we've known each other from the beginning, Chase. Yeah. Um, yeah so Cambridge is our, you know, we're sort of partner with them. And again, it's a new part. It's new, so we're sort of working on on, on how it looks, you know, what it's going to look like, and you know, and how it will move forward. But but it's going to be a way for us to get more recognition, for us to be, you know more you know more in the limelight to keep on spreading the word with MIT they're one of our partners um, we sort of collaborate working with the you know working with the same learners so they so they have a program that teaches refugees technical skills they've got a certificate in data and computer science we do the soft skills for remote work and again you know create this holistic program to give them the, to give them you know the skills they need to work remotely to navigate the space and also they will, um, you know, will link them up to jobs. And these are really highly skilled, like talented. I can't tell you how amazing, how impressed I am with them, talented individuals. 
and there'll be any company will be lucky just to have one of you know someone like that working for them yeah and when you say refugees how would you define the word refugee in this sense geographically and and yeah. sort of a, a, a stereotypical background well this is the amazing thing about this particular project the MIT project because they're, they're from all over the world so wow. you know 50 individuals 20 countries so obviously a refugee is someone who's, who's had to leave their home for you know for political political reasons because of conflict I guess Syrian crisis is, is the one that we know the best at the moment, but there's also the Rohingyas. There's lots of, lots of African refugees. Um, Venezuela, um, so there's a lot of refugee crises um, in the world. Venezuela, I guess Venezuela, Syria being the two biggest ones now. So on the program, we have Syrians, we have Venezuelans, we have Palestinians, we have Burundi. Oh gosh, I can't remember. But we, So we also have... It's 70% refugees, 30% from the host community, but the host communities are sort of countries which, which are, as most refugees live in developing countries, countries that host refugees. So Colombians, we have Colombians, we have Lebanese, we have Jordanians, because these, these are the big, big refugee host countries. So individuals who are nationals of those countries as well. And so the idea is to br- bring these people who otherwise are, are really struggling to find respectable paying jobs they have skills and get and get them the the refined skills that they need to work for these tech companies and and other companies that will embrace remote work and and people from wherever exactly exactly and these guys are highly talented but they just lack the opportunity and and if it weren't for their situation they would be working at microsoft they would be working at these big companies they would be starting companies themselves but because of the unfortunate situation, you know, yeah. they, they've had to flee their country. And this is how we support them by giving them the opportunity, which they wouldn't, which they would have had if the country hadn't fallen into a crisis. Yeah, it's the, the lottery of life it just ends up not blessing some people. And it's a shame that they don't get to experience all the opportunities that, that people from other parts of the world yeah. do. And then so this project is really bringing them those opportunities and, and opening up what remote yeah. work can, can yes. offer to them. Yeah. And yeah. And I feel really lucky that, you know, I, I come from a middle-class family. I was able to travel. I have good education, you know, you know, I don't have to think about, you know, I mean, yes, it's not easy, you know, what I'm doing, you know, I'm sort of taking the difficult path of having my own organization. So it's not easy, but I'm lucky that I have the social capital to, to help me navigate this, this space and, live where I am and you know in a year and a half I you know I will leave my, my son and I will leave here and we'll go back to Europe where my older son is now and you know I, I have contacts I have connections so for me I feel lucky that I'm, I'm able to navigate this space yeah and when I came here still I was able to navigate this space that I had the skills and the education for me to get a job here when I first came but not everyone has an opportunity and I'm, I, and I'm lucky. I feel lucky because of that. And I want to help others. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're one of the, the special ones that will, <laughs> that will not just take that lottery ticket and run with it. You want to reinvest it in the, in the world, which is an incredible thing. And that's why I've always been attracted to the, to the project that you're, you're working on. So Namal is the, is the name it's, it's N A A M A L correct. Dot, dot org. Yeah, perfect. We'll put that in the show notes again so people can check out and learn more. There's, there's, we could probably spend just hours just talking about that. But <laughs> let's, uh, <laughs> you, you mentioned something else that, uh, that just there that I thought was interesting. So, did what, what was the, the, 
push pull factor for you here was coming to uh, Abu Dhabi and and the UAE part of starting the Namal project, or was it the other way around, or was it totally disconnected? Mm-hmm. What what sort of brought you there, and and yeah. and then what made you stay? So I guess I've been here a long. I've been in the Middle East a long time. So I first came to the Middle East in two thousand and four to Oman. I lived in Oman for four years, which, which was beautiful and I loved. Before Oman, I lived in Taiwan, and. I, when I left Taiwan, like I loved Asia, I fell in love with Asia, Chinese culture, I loved it. And I thought I would return. Um, I thought I'd live in the Middle East for a year, maybe two, and then I'd go back to Asia. But I, I sort of got addicted to the Middle East, and I never wow. left. And, you know, we, we traveled around when, when the kids were little, we traveled around the Middle East quite a lot. I mean, Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, you know, Turkey, you know, all, lots of times. And, you know, it's easy to travel to Asia from here. And I just became interested by the Middle East and, you know, fascinated by the culture, the people, I love the people. And that's sort of what's kept me here. There's something about it which sort of gets under your skin. I mean, and I feel lucky that I've, that I've lived in Oman because that Oman is, Oman is real Arabia. It's sort of the Lawrence of Arabia. Um, mm-hmm. You imagine, you know, when you see the films, that was Oman. It's beautiful stunning you know the UAE is different it's sort of you know it's much more modern when you look around you don't often recognize you're in an Arab country you know but it is still obvious I just like you know I like challenges and I think that's what keeps me here because it is a challenge um, especially yeah. as a single parent it's a challenge being here and um, yeah I guess I've never been, I've never been afraid of taking those type of type of risks in terms of moving somewhere. So I was thinking, you know, as I said, I'm hopefully be moving back close, close to my son in a year, either, well, either, either in six months or 18 months, who knows? <laughs> where is, where is back by the way? Is that, well, is that London, not back. well my youngest son is in living in London. Mm-hmm. My old, sorry, my older son, my younger one's with me here. I don't know. I'm not sure where we'll go but closer to where he is so probably not london but i want to be closer to him you know have us close together so how whatever that looks like yes it's um you know it's to be decided it's it's a working progress and i'm sort of that's why i'm sort of working my way to make myself completely portable for lack of better (laughs) i can take my work wherever i go but i've never been afraid of going to new places and you know and just you know, thinking and, and getting, you know, getting there. When I moved to Taiwan, you know, I spoke no Chinese. And I remember my first day, I, uh, my first day of work, I got to the, this, I was teaching, got, got to the school in the daytime, got the bus and then got the bus back at night. And the p- places look completely different in the day and the night, as you know, uh, yeah. especially in a different language. And, the, you know, Chinese is completely different. <laughs> and I remember getting on the bus and thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm not sure if I can find where my bus stop because everything looks different and everything looks the same. <laughs> everything That's looks fun. different <laughs> from the daytime, but different, you know, but I, I can't recognize anything. I, you know, I had no landmarks. I had no language to, to figure out where I was going. And I was, you know, and I think I'm, and no, and no one spoke English either. So it was quite an experience. And, you know, that taught me that if I could do that, I can really do anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you can figure out Chinese bus system without speaking Chinese at, at night, you're doing well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could overcome um, anything. <laughs> yeah. So, th- so that's why I've never been afraid in terms of moving to a new place. And you were yeah. teaching the whole time? Yeah. Teaching yeah. at a Te- university. 
teaching yeah. English or te- yeah, teaching English. at university? Yeah. 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 Is, is that, is it correct to say you're a professor by trade or, or a oh. teacher by trade or how, what well, is the, yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess I had many professions. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I did work at university in, in Taiwan, in Oman and in the UAE. I worked in, so I worked in education. I was education consultant and I guess my sort of pivot into what I'm doing now was when I worked my the, the, my second job in the UAE was at a university. My first job was an education consultant supporting the education reform of the of the Emirate in Abu Dhabi, and then I worked at a university, which was more which was more you know I I I prefer working with sort of that age group. And one of the one of my colleagues asked me to write about the Arab Spring. He says, "Choose any country." This is 2011. Lorraine, choose any country. I thought, well, I want to write about Syria because I love Syria. And at that time, you know, um, Tunisia and Egypt were the big countries which everyone was looking at for the Arab Spring. And I chose Syria, which was like just starting. And no one perceived the Syria crisis would turn into into the big one because Syria was stable. And at, you know, at two, this is 2011. So at that, yeah, refresh my memory on the timeline. So 2011, Syria stable. Well, for the, most the, part, or? the Arab Spring started in March 2011 in Syria. Okay. Um, but everyone expected it to be, you know, to end very quickly because, the, you know, the, the Assad regime was, you know, quite predominant. You know, I don't want to talk politics, but no one expected it to last as long, you know, to escalate, especially since, you know, the, the one in Tunisia sort of ended very quickly. So that, that was what, you know, yeah. was expected for the Syrian crisis. So it was lucky stroke unlucky that I chose to write about Syria because you know because that was the one that turned into into what we have now and that's so I wrote a few academic articles uh, about that education and women political stuff mm-hmm. and then I sort of and as things escalated you know I started started to you know see what was happening and then um, I went back to the UK for a year and I came back Abu Dhabi and then this is 2016 when I came back I think the Arab Spring was maybe 2015 2015 the Arab Spring was completely escalating and you know and you know people were were, were turning in up in the shores of Europe and I remember saying to my husband at the time I said oh my gosh what can we do I want to adopt a Syrian family and he's like oh my god you're crazy <laughs> <laughs> and this is you know how I thought no I have to do something like what can I do and Literally a week later, I met someone who I um, who became my boss. He was the former UK ambassador to Lebanon, and he worked for an international NGO that supported the education for Syrian refugees. So I was a re- researcher looking at the private sector engagement, but doing partnerships and research and everything. So that's how my sort of career career path towards supporting know. refugees really became established. So I still do academic stuff, but you know I sort of do more policy stuff now, which you know which is much more fulfilling. I see. Yeah. And that's a, I, one of the things that I love is how, like, this is a common theme I've noticed from talking to people on this show and, and my experiences as well is like, we, most people didn't have like a path planned out that they thought they would follow to get to where they are. And somehow traveling, moving abroad, testing out new cultures, pushing those limits, sort of like, not even sort of like was a major contributor to to getting to this place of like, where you, where you really feel like you've come into your own a little bit and you're, you're yeah. living a life that you really enjoy. You're doing work that you really enjoy. And uh, like, had you not taken that teaching job in Taiwan, mm-hmm. 
-hmm. perhaps you would never have ended up in the Middle East supporting mm -hmm. refugees. These things are all connected. And I think, it's, yeah. I think it's really fun and interesting to think about. Yeah. I mean, the reason I watched, wanted to come to the Middle East was in my, in my early 20s, when I finished university, I went to Israel and Egypt. And I went, and when I was in Egypt, we drove to the Sinai and I saw those mountains and I thought, oh my God, I love this. I fell in love with the Middle East by going yeah. to Egypt. And then, it, you know, and, and a long time, it took me years after to, to find a way back. And when, so I was pregnant when I, with my first child, when I moved to Oman, I was like eight months pregnant when I moved to Oman, crazy. <laughs> you know, to this, to this town. You are not afraid have, of challenges. <laughs> <laughs> to this town that didn't even have a proper supermarket. We used to, we used to shop in the soup, which is like the markets. Wow. So it was, you know, and, and women were still washing their clothes in, in the falage, which is like the, the sort of water channels in the back, uh, of the back of the village where we lived. That's where I moved to. But I loved it. It was, it was like otherworldly. Were you um, like the only expat there? Were there, no, no, were there no, any no, other? No, the university there was hiring Westerners okay. to teach. So okay. yeah, yeah. So a bit, but probably only 50 non- yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. a small number. Yeah. Everyone knew everyone. And, but then it, it sort of grew. I mean, now it's different, but when we moved there, like we shopped in, this, in, the, in the market, people, you know, you know, people lived the way they lived probably a hundred years ago. I mean, it was an, an amazing. What an experience. And, yeah. And then from there, we, we had holidays throughout the Middle East. From there, we went to Syria and I fell in love with Syria. And that's why when I was asked to write about the Arab Spring, I chose Syria. I thought, oh my goodness, I love Syria. I've been there. I love the people. It's fascinating. That's why I want to write about Syria. And again, because I traveled there, that's what made me compelled to write about it for that, you know, for that academic articles. So yeah. interesting. And then stepping yeah. stones and, and here you are today. It's so yeah. it, you've been in the UAE now for how many years? Since 2008. So, oh, in the UAE since 2008. Okay. I was thinking the Middle East as a whole. Wow. So that's a, that's a good bit of time. Does it feel like home now or does it, or do you still feel like a foreigner there or some yeah. mix of the two? I mean, everyone's a foreigner here. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it feels like home, but I know that my time is coming. As I said, my, my oldest son went to the UK when, you know, he's living with his, his father and I need, and, you know, it's been hard for me because I miss him and COVID has, hasn't helped, hard to see him. Yeah. So I want us to move close, my, myself and my younger son to move closer, even if he decides not to live with us, to stay living with his father, but we need to be closer to him. Yeah. So... So that, I that, will. That has that plays a big factor in whether or not a place can feel like home is is your your yeah. family and the the close connections there. Yeah. But yeah. So otherwise, though, you feel very comfortable in the UAE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. completely. Like the life in Abu Dhabi and. Yeah, yeah, it's easy. I've got friends. There's the interesting people, but also I've got lots of friends like you who are virtual. So I have a mm -hmm. bit of both. I think I, I think I have the best of both worlds. There's some interesting people here, but also the interesting people like you who I've met virtually who I haven't met in person who yeah I hope we will meet in person one day but I also have these relationships which I love as well yeah yeah that we're not really the world is becoming flatter it's so easy to have real yes. actual real connections and relationships and and maintain your closest ones despite the distance which is Com which is a great thing I think completely I mean I'm a big believer in that my oh, co-founder and I met you know met, met on online it sounds like a date. We met online yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we knew we would, as after our first conversation, we had this instant connection and we knew we'd do something together. So by the time I registered Namal, I hadn't met her in person. And I, I, and, but, but we'd, we'd speak like every week. 
sometimes yeah. more often than that. And certainly, you know, closer to when we were registering. And I was, I was filling out the registration forms. I'm like, you know, and I had to put all our details. And I tried to message her, but I couldn't get in touch with her. But like, God, I just have to figure it out. So, you know, like date of birth, Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> where she, you know, you know, place of birth. I thought, okay, I'm, I'm assuming it's where she has on Facebook as a home. So I put that. Father's first name. I'm like, oh my God. So I just put John. I just put John. I'm thinking, right, John. And Must then be John. I, yes. And then I spoke to her and I said, listen, I, I was filling out these, you know, these are what I put. And I put your father's first name as John. He said, she said, that is my father's first name. Oh, no way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this was all meant to be. It was all meant to be. And then when we met in person in Edinburgh, September 2019, it's probably a year and a half after we first met online. It was like meeting an old friend, meeting like a best friend. And like now, like, you know, we have an amazing connection. I mean, she's a lot more silent in the organization, but now that we're picking up, she's sort of doing more behind the scenes sort of company stuff. But I I love the fact that I didn't know her, meet her face to face and we have this thing together. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's, it's totally doable now. It, it's not really even a much of a barrier. It seems the distance yeah. anymore, is it? It isn't. And I, I truly believe that distance is not a barrier. I mean, ho- hopefully we'll soon be able to travel again. And yeah, I mean, I have a friend who lives in Scotland who I, who I'm going to see really soon. He's going to come here. You know, distance isn't, isn't a barrier anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah not at all. Well, and so for you, when you think about life in Abu Dhabi versus moving back to perhaps the UK, Europe, what will be some of the things that you will miss most about the Middle East? And, and we can, we, you can take this however, Abu Dhabi, UAE, Middle East, whatever, versus Europe. And then also, what are some of the things you're really perhaps looking forward to? Of course, time with your son. But uh, yeah. as far as like the lifestyle, the city, for someone that might be considering a move to Middle East, to the UAE, you know, this could give them some insight into what, what life, what some of the trade-offs are, pros and cons. Yeah. I mean, the UAE is, a, it's, you know, nice weather, most, except the summer, you know, beautiful running outside. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. It's clean. It's, it's safe, safe, safe. For me, I love the safety, but I also love the chaos. I mean, it's, probably Abu Dhabi less so than other places in the Middle East, but I love the chaoticness and the, like, you don't know what's going to happen. And this happens less, less to me now, because I know it so well and, you know, and it happened much more in Oman. Like it's unpredictable. And I love the unpredictability, <laughs> uh, unpredictability about it. I love that. You, do, you just don't know what's going to happen. You don't, you just don't know. And I love that. What I miss about Europe, friends, family. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and it, I mean, life's easy here. Less easy. Well, less easy there. So um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to How it. so? Well, you know, I'm not very good with rules. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that for me, I think they're for other people. So here I can navigate my space with that in mind. In Europe, I have to be more conscious of it. And, you know, I, I still hope that I can, you know, keep on thinking that way, but I probably have to be more conscious of it there. than. Mm. Yeah. 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 So you don't, you feel, you feel more actually more free and more like open in, in the UAE than you feel like you will in, in Europe? Um, probably not. I mean, you know, 
I am aware of where I live in terms of what I can say and how I navigate my space. So in terms of, you know, this is the, this is the Middle East and we all know the political issues here. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes we have to be cautious of what we say, but I like that. I like that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, am I going to get, you know, am, am I going to get deported? Because, you know, for being, <laughs> it's the risky oh, yeah. life a little bit yeah i see yeah. i see i actually so i misunderstood i thought you were saying the opposite that when you get back to europe you'll have to mind yourself a little bit more and and but you were what you're saying is that you have to mind yourself a little bit more in the middle east but you sort of like that like uh it, it's living life on the edge a little bit yeah especially especially as an academic and you know the kind of work that i used to do which i don't do anymore uh, that was like yeah, you know, quite on the edge. Yeah. But now, you know, even the refugee stuff is kind of sensitive, but less so than my previous line of research. Right. Yeah, that's it's so interesting because it seems like on the surface, like who could have any issues with wanting to help refugees? But if you really, if you think about it for more than two seconds, you can see how there's political and and uh, and all sorts of yes. different aspects to that from yes. from different countries, lots of border yes. sharing exactly. and things like this. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So when you first came to the Middle East, has it? You've been there quite a while now. So has how would you say it's changed i imagine i have the impression dramatically but what's your vantage point from from having been there for a while now so considering i live in the gulf which is sort of oil oil rich that's how the economy is you know is is financed and with the price of oil decreasing significantly we're beginning to feel the economic impacts of that, you know, onto, onto obviously on top of COVID, but even before COVID, you know, the price of oil have, have been decreasing. So, you know, people, for a lot of expats who come here, they come on massive packages. There's a lot less of that. People are, you know, people are much more coming here less just for the money because the money isn't necessarily as, as amazing as it used to be. It's still good, but not as amazing as it used to be. And what I find is, and this is particularly a UAE thing, the people that come here don't come, don't come to live in the Middle East, they come to earn the money. Mm. And, and, I, and I've always been slightly uncomfortable with that because, yes, I mean, you know, I, you know, I, I, you know, I do need money to live, but I really want to understand the place. And that's why my initial research was on the UAE. So I, you know, I do have a good understanding, you know, I have a pretty good understanding because that's what I've researched about the place, about the culture, society, politics, that sort of thing. And I am interested in it. And yeah. for me, it sort of helps me navigate the space. So I guess what's changed is the, 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 the type of people who are coming and, and the people who are, who are staying are becoming invested. And when I say invested, I mean, you know, emotionally in the place. Yeah. So, yeah, not just there to take advantage of the income or, yeah. or live live a certain lifestyle completely secluded yeah. from the, the yeah. locals. Exactly. Uh, Which, I mean, that still happens. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But I, I, I hope less and less. I mean, it's hard to say. I guess I've been locked in my apartment for nine months, so it's hard to say. <laughs> but yeah, I think that definitely is the case. People are more interested and in, in, in engaging, engaging with the place. Yeah. That people are uh, at this point, you feel like more I than think, in the past. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've, I lived in a place for a little while. I, have, I won't say where because I think it kind of has like a little bit of a stereotype now and I don't want to paint, uh-huh. paint it badly. But I, I was a little bit disgusted with like there was zero. There seemed to be a big separation between like the expats and the locals and the expats that were there were really just trying to take advantage of like a low cost of living and uh-huh. didn't really want to have anything to do with the locals, didn't want to like wanted to have their own restaurants that are yeah, not, yeah, not yeah. learning the language, things like this. And I just always was a little bit like, uncomfortable. Oh, this is a little bit uncomfortable. Like, why are we, why are we even here for just, yeah. you know, if we're not going to mingle with the locals and, and get to know the culture, it's, it's half the fun. It's yeah. if not more. So me too. I feel exactly the same. And that's kind of why I loved living in Taiwan because there you had no choice. The culture, it, it was your <laughs> life. There was yeah. no option. And same for Oman. In the UAE, it's, it's, it's more difficult. So even, you know, so even you have to make a much bigger effort to really engage with it because it's so Western. But it, yeah. it, you can. And that's why if I have to live, I mean, I'll probably have to watch Europe because of, you know, because of my, you know, my kids. But if I have to live somewhere else that's non, you know, non-Europe, I want to be somewhere where it's completely different and I want to sort of get in there and yeah 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 that, get get, get like knee deep in the in the culture of yeah. the place where you're living yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it, it'd be correct to say that in the I, I have the impression i've not been to the uae but especially in in a place like abu dhabi it's very multicultural it's very oh, yeah. uh, almost like yeah. cosmopolitan it's it's not yeah. it's not like you're yeah, you don't feel when you're walking down the street, it's not like it's obvious that you are a non-local. No. No. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, and, yeah. But in Oman, that was the case. In Oman, it sounds like that was more the case where you, yeah. you stood out a little bit more. Yeah. And it's interesting. I stood out a bit more because I looked like them, but I, but I sounded different. I dressed differently. So it was yeah. a really interesting for me. And I remember when I was when I was having my second child in Oman, I, you know, I went, was born very early in the morning and I went to the hospital. And I was, I think, wearing the hospital gown and I had my hair tied up in, you know, in a bun. And the doctor thought I was local. And she said to me, where's your scarf? Why isn't your hair covered? And I said to her, what are you talking about? And she says, oh, I'm really sorry, madame. When she made me to realize I was, you know, because I looked like them. So it was a really interesting, yeah, yeah. really interesting being there. I think it's a question that has to be asked so, uh, or, or a point just to be made. So you did not feel like, like you didn't have to wear a hijab or something not at all you don't no. you don't feel obligated in, no, no, in no. throughout is that throughout them i know it's painting yeah. a very broad stroke but it, generally is that the, is that um, your yeah. experience i mean certainly covering your hair you don't have to um i always feel i have to i mean I, but the ua is different and you know i don't really bo- bother about what i wear but i try to be conservative like i yeah. you know like in oman definitely like definitely conservative in the UAE, less so. And when I travel to Jordan, yeah, I, you know, I, you know, you have to be aware of where you are, yeah. sort of what people are doing, and you don't want to stand out. And I remember being when I was in Oman, and we lived in a pretty conservative place, and going to the um, to the hotel where we used the pool and the gym, and seeing you know foreigners wearing like short shorts, and I thought, oh my god, who who didn't advise them? yeah (laughs) somebody needs to tell them yeah (laughs) somebody needs to tell them you can't wear that and of course they wouldn't see anything but i'm like come on look at where you are yeah i know some people would take like some i have the impression some people take some offense to this and and i i can understand the the that side of the coin on the other hand i think like 
you do have to respect like local traditions when you go somewhere. I mean, even, even here in, in Spain or, or throughout Europe, you know, if we walk in, we walked into my wife and I to a cathedral one time to look around and she was asked to, she was wearing like a tank top or something. And they yeah, said, cover. you know, can you please cover up your shoulders? And mm-hmm. she didn't take any offense to that. Like, oh yeah, that's the kind of the norm here, the rules here. Yeah. I understand. And you just, yeah. you move along. Yeah. But, but, but also we expect people when they come to the West to adopt Western, right. you know, expect them to speak English. So when we live somewhere, we really need to understand that it's not the same as where we live. And, you know, if I lived in Brazil, I'd be completely dressed differently. I'd be like wearing nothing. Yeah, exactly. You (laughs) can do that in Brazil. Exactly. (laughs) But you can't do that here. And you just have to realize it's where you are. And and I think that's a beauty about traveling. You know, you become conscious of the culture and the people. And, you know, I think you definitely gain much more respect when you act appropriately yeah yeah that's how you're gonna get knee deep into the into the culture and and perhaps be invited over for tea at a local house or something you know like these these are and that that'll be a once in a lifetime opportunity so yeah i think you have to you have to adapt a little bit and uh, yeah 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 definitely yeah so so one one thing I like to get into a little bit, it's not necessarily the most exciting and fun part, but it's the very practical part of this show is talking about the sort of the process of moving to a place like the, let's talk about the UAE in particular. From a visa standpoint, for, mm-hmm. you know, just what is the process like for, you, you, yeah. can, you can speak specifically about your background and coming from where you're from, but sort of generally speaking, I mean, is it a place that's very difficult to get into or open, you know, what are your thoughts here? Well, that's changing. It's changing a lot. So there's this new freelance visa for Dubai, which is like, you know, you could just like, you know, people come, uh, you know, to work in, you know, in in Europe, all these places which allow people to work freelance. Dubai has it. It's quite expensive to live here. So you have to be really cautious of of, of, of the difference in wages. But the UAE are trying really hard to attract people so it is getting much easier to get mm. visas. There's a freelance visa. There's the, um, the remote work thing. So you can work for a company, work remotely in Dubai. So it is changing a lot. Um, I mean, my advice is just look very carefully, but be conscious of the cost of living. Yeah. Would you compare the cost of living to, to a place like London or yeah, so, something along those lines? So yeah. we're talking talking one of the more expensive places i mean hong kong london new yeah. york san francisco yeah, yeah. these are yeah, yeah. these are ex- expensive places to live yeah. but, um, but there the, the are ways to live cheaply but it is pretty expensive the big things rent and school mm-hmm. are the big yeah are the big things school school is a uh, is always private or just generally you you want to use private if as an expat or well because i mean it's an arab country so schools are in arabic yeah uh, yeah <laughs> course yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so if if you're if you want to send your you you can send your kids there's probably i imagine there's tons of uh options in a tons. in yeah okay tons 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 tons, tons. yeah yeah but, but, but expensive yeah i can imagine yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because you have i mean as you mentioned you have all the these expats there they get brought there with with big packages and, exactly yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. so be conscious and, of that and um and then, so when you arrived, like in your in your case, were you brought to the UAE, like yeah, via yeah. a job and a co- okay? Yes. So that was yeah. your path. Yes, and and back when I did in two thousand and eight, that was the only way. Okay. But now, but now things have changed, and you know they're trying to attract talent and you know, young talent entrepreneurs. 
But when I came, that was the only way. And it was much more difficult then than it is now. So if somebody wanted to move there, their best path right now, if, if their company isn't going to bring them there, is to look up the, the remote work or freelance visas for, yeah, I'd say so. for the UAE and see if that, if that yeah. would apply yeah. to them. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. It, it, it was announced. I'm not sure if it's been made law yet, but it, it will happen. Yeah. Even if it hasn't, because it, it, it's been passed as, as a law. Interesting. Okay. And then uh, you may not, th- this is reaching back a little bit, but in Oman, if somebody was interested in moving there, do you, do you recall what that process was like? Oh, much like the UAE was when I first came, you, it, it's really as tied, tied to jobs. Yeah. And a lot of these countries are trying to nationalize their workforce. So trying to have fewer and fewer foreigners. I don't know if they have anything like the freelance visas or, or that. I don't know, but I doubt it because the ones are a lot more conservative and, you know. Yeah. But certainly, They're trying to provide jobs for their, their people. Yeah, yeah. But, but if you could get there, I highly recommend it. If you, if you can find a way there, it's the most amazing. It's magic. It's magical. What's magical about it? You, I can see and hear oh. in your voice that it's just, it's such a special place for you. Yeah. So, I mean, I, and, it, and it's not a place that pops up on people's no. uh, radar very often. That may be part of the charm of it for you, but yeah. I, I, I would love to hear a little bit more about what makes it so magical for you. I mean, the people are wonderful, um, generous, kind. It's beautiful, the mountains, and not green mountains, mount, you know, brown mountains, beautiful, ro- rocky mountains. The culture... Uh, I don't know. It's just, you know, it is like stepping back in time. Yeah. It really Deep, is. rich history and yeah. culture and yeah. yeah. Uh, and just interesting. Very, very interesting. Where would yeah. you live if you were going to give another, sh- give the Middle East another shot and say, I would have, my next chapter is going to be here. Where might that be? If there weren't a war in Syria, I would love to live in Syria. Yeah. Mm, Istanbul. Istanbul. Oh. Love Istanbul, but I, I couldn't live there all the time. I mean, it's beautiful. It's crazy. It's chaotic, but I love that city. Would you uh, say it's more chaotic than Abu Dhabi? Oh yeah, all that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Istanbul is like it's a massive city. Yeah. It's you know, huge. and and I love I love cities on on you know on the sea. I love cities on the water. It's beautiful. I love the Bosphorus and the boats back and forth. Chaos, chaotic though. Um, hmm. I like Jordan. I, I I really like Jordan. I like Jordan a lot. Uh, so I would, where I would, where I would, in Jordan? Anywhere in particular in Amman. Jordan? Amman. Amman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I like it. And, and, and we have a project there, so I have you know I have good reasons. Well, you know, COVID dependent. I have good reasons to, to go. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Please go ahead. No, I was going to say that. I mean, the Middle East is the Middle East is amazing. It's really special. Lots of cool places. Yeah. I mean. I recommend people to come. It's chaos, interesting, fun, wonderful people. Sounds sounds wonderful. You've got me sold. Um, I need to. Uh, it's a part of the world that I am yet to spend any time in. And uh, but I love talking with people who who have experienced it. Can can share a little bit more of what life's like there and the path to getting there. And yeah. um, so your your background has been really helpful for me, and I hope for for some some listeners. So. We'll, uh, we'll, I've kept you long enough and we'll, we'll, we can wrap this up here pretty soon, but I yeah. just wanted to ask you a couple quick questions. Give me the first thoughts that, that come yeah. to your mind and, uh, and we'll, we'll see what comes of it and then we'll wrap it up. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. So what has been the most exciting thing that's happened in the last year for the NAMO project? Cambridge, um, everything, Cambridge, MIT, collaboration, 
our project in Jordan. Like, it's been an amazing year of hard work surprises. I mean, I feel, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I feel really pleased with how it's gone. Like, everything has been amazing about it. Everything. <laughs> I can't pinpoint one thing. Um, yeah, I'm just really happy. And, I've, you know, I've worked really hard, but, I've, you know, I've had some really good luck, but I think now my connections are now becoming hard work, not luck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exciting to watch unfold from, yeah. my, from my standpoint too. What would be the number one piece of advice you would give to a expat moving to Abu Dhabi tomorrow? look below the surface don't look at the superficiality dig deeper there's a lot more than the surface dig deeper get to really know it don't go to the to you know to the big flashy hotels malls dig deeper there's a lot of interesting stuff there find it yeah yeah that's that's what i was kind of imagining what i when i imagined going there i think like i would love to get below the surface and, yeah, and yeah, get yeah. into that <laughs> it's pretty amazing below it's pretty cool below the surface Excellent. And then if someone were to move to Oman, what would you, the same piece of advice, what type of, what would be the number one piece of advice you would give them? Like, okay, you've Um, arrived. What, what, what would you tell them? Don't be afraid because it's different. Very different. (laughs) (laughs) Get below the surface again. Yes. Yes. Get below the surface. Get below the surface. So um, that's what I would say. Excellent. All right. Great. That is all very helpful. And again, always fun catching up with you. I learned a lot and I hope that uh, I hope the listeners did as well. So yeah. thank you for your time so much, Lorraine. We, pre- we really appreciate it. It's been amazing. Thank you so much. And, you know, as I said to you, I, I can't say no to you. You've been amazing. <laughs> You've been amazing to me. I can't ever say no to you. <laughs> uh, well, I will keep that in mind for uh, for season two, okay? <laughs> yes. Season two could be maybe when I'm living somewhere else. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows where I'll be next? I, I know. That's the exciting thing. That's the exciting thing. All the options at your fingertips. <laughs> Inshallah, as we say in Arabic. Yeah. Ah, I love it. I love it. All yeah. right. Thank you so much, Lorraine. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in today from wherever you are in the world. Once again, I'm Chase, and this has been another episode of About Abroad. You can visit aboutabroad.com to get our latest updates and listen to past episodes, or find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, really anywhere you get your podcasts. On that note, if you enjoyed the show, feel free to subscribe, and if inclined, leave a few stars and a review. It's truly, truly appreciated and will help more wanderers just like you find us. Until the next time, adios from España.